Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. We want to welcome uh, Kenzie to come, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about what's going on in ministry in uh, off the coast of Africa. And so, Kenzie, bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Um, feels like I'm with old friends, which is always nice to come back to. Um, have so much respect for your pastoral staff. Um, love your pastors. Appreciate so much your youth pastor, also my roommate currently. Shout out to Kiki. <laughs> well, my name is Kenzie Birkin, and I am a missionary. And I've served in Africa for the past six years. And I love Africa. But I consider myself a daughter of the House of Alaska. Because although I've lived in Africa, I'm Alaska grown. I was raised in Palmer, Alaska. I was filled with the Holy Spirit at Little Beaver Camp in Big Lake, and I was called into missions at a Holy Spirit conference in Anchorage. So I am just an Alaskan who finds themselves sweating on the islands of Africa. Now, I just want to begin by saying thank you. I'm not just saying this because it's Thanksgiving this week, but genuinely thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and your partnership, financially praying over the past six years. I can't believe it's been six and a half years since I first came to this church. But this is a partnership. You know, us missionaries, we couldn't do what we did without churches like you who give and pray. It is a partnership. Without you, I couldn't fulfill the call of God on my life. So thank you. Thank you. Now, let me tell you, missionaries are crazy about several things, okay? But one thing we're really crazy about are prayer cards. So after service, if you would swing by, I would love to give you one of these if you would commit to pray with me. Now, I live and serve in the beautiful, sweaty island off the coast of Equatorial Guinea. Now, this place is a little bit interesting. It's like a mix of animism and Islam and Spain and Africa Um, There's actually five islands in the mainland, and we're the only place in Africa that speaks Spanish. Gloria a Dios. I'm thankful this little girl told me she could teach me it. (laughs) Um, After church, I guess. (laughs) But this place is called home. And one thing I love about being home in Africa is the shopping. Okay, I'm not talking about Costco kind of shopping or Fred Meyer. Although I literally do have dreams that I'm in Costco when I'm in Africa, okay? No, I'm talking about the African markets, okay? So imagine the sun is beaming down. You are sweating. Now, if you grew up in Alaska, you didn't know you could sweat from places that you could sweat from, okay? So you're sweating. The sun is beaming down. There's mountains of papayas. There's meats on the side. We have snakes, and we have monkeys, and and fish, and all that things, okay? There's flies. There's people yelling, Miraki Blanquita, look here, little white girl. Look, look, okay? And there's all this noise and all the commotion. And then if you pass by the papayas, you go to the other side of the market. And this is what gets really fun. It's the used clothing, okay? Africa has amazing clothing. And they come in these big sacks. 
from who knows where. Literally, it's a guessing game. I don't know. I I don't know if it was like Goodwill clothes they never sold, or they sent them from aid. I don't know. But they bring these big sacks and they put them on the ground, and the adventure begins. Okay. In all your efforts, you get on the ground and you start sorting through these sacks upon sacks upon sacks. And let me tell you, there are some treasures in those sacks. Okay. I have found Nike pants for a dollar in those sacks, okay? I have found Lululemon tank tops for $2 in those sacks. And it is so exciting when you finally pull out that treasure. And you're like, how much does this cost? And every once in a while, you will encounter someone standing there who will tell you, I don't know. And when you're dripping sweat and you've worked hard for that treasure, you're not going to settle for I don't know. So you ask again, how much does this cost? And they'll say, I don't know. And then you realize that person is just the guardian. They're not the seller. And they don't have the power to sell you something that doesn't belong to them. And that reminds me of another story in the Bible of someone desiring to buy something that wasn't for sale. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Acts chapter 8? If you could show the picture in the slideshow, begin with that. We're in Acts chapter 8. But first, let me give you the context, okay? The early church is expanding. God is on the move. These people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And persecution in Jerusalem is forcing the apostles to scatter, which was actually a good thing because it enabled the the disciples to go to new areas, to new people groups. And now Philip, he's arrived in Samaria. And he's preaching, and people are getting saved. Healings are happening. Evil spirits are getting released. And God is on the move. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today, where we're going to meet someone named Simon the Sorcerer. So Acts chapter 8, 9 through 20. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Verse 10. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, exclaimed, Oh, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Verse 11. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given on at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Verse 19. And he said, oh, 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 me too, me too. Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on might also receive the Holy Spirit. Then Peter replied, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Just like the secondhand clothing treasures in the African markets, there's just some things that can't be bought. 
when the sending church hears about what God is doing in Samaria, they send help. They send Peter and John. And let me tell you, when God is on the move, there's always more laborers needed, especially in Africa, okay? But that's a different story for another time. Now, when Simon saw that the true power was being administered, excuse me, he pulled out his leather satchel full of money like it was a sale on Black Friday. Y'all excited for Black Friday? Just me? Okay, let me tell you. Our culture is constantly trying to sell us things. Constantly. I've noticed since coming back to America that everyone is walking around with these huge new water bottles. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like these big insulated cups. Like years ago it was Nalgene, but now it's like Yeti and Stanley. Those are so big. You could knock someone out with that. That's like a self-defense mechanism, okay? But, like, what makes those $40 cups so special? I mean, it's pretty great to have cups that keep your water cold, stay cold, and drinks that are hot, having hot coffee, hallelujah. But I wonder if these company is also trying to sell a sense of belonging when suddenly everyone is walking around with the same cup. We're constantly being inundated with things to buy. If you don't believe me, <clears throat> just go on Facebook. Facebook is full of ads. The newest, easiest way to lose weight. Try this pill. Go on this diet. Try this. You, you don't even have to exercise, okay? Or the TV commercials. My mom said that the very first song I ever sang was, What's on your list today? You'll find it at Fred Mac. Now you know I really grew up in Alaska, okay? <laughs> but even in our media, our movies, they're trying to sell us political agendas. We're constantly being bombarded with things to buy <clears throat> for the right amount of dinero, for the right amount of money. But church, the gifts of God cannot be bought. The gifts of God cannot be bought. Would you keep moving on the slides? And you know what? The gifts of God are so much better than anything that the world could try to sell us. The power of the Holy Spirit to fill your life, that's a gift. And it's accessible. It's accessible to me and to you and to anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit to heal, to deliver people from demons, to the power to witness boldly, the power to bring those lows to new houses, and to declare the goodness of God. That power cannot be bought. Not even the greatest gift of salvation can be bought. In fact, there's absolutely nothing you can do to buy eternal life. Forget your money. Your good deeds can't even do it. But the gift of having a relationship with God, of receiving the benefits of adoption into the family of God, all the benefits of receiving his peace, his joy, his love, oh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to live life as an overcomer, those gifts can't be bought. Because the key word here is gift. They're gifts because of the giver the generous, merciful giver who is our God. The same use of the word gift here in this passage is also chapter found in chapter 4 of John, where we find the woman of, at the well. 
okay? And when Jesus, he purposely traveled in her direction where it wasn't convenient for him, but he went, and he went to her with such gentleness and love. Jesus said, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This encounter with a woman who was pushed aside, shamed by society, you know what? She did receive the gift of God that day. And what was her response? She ran back to her village. She ran back to the village and she told them about the giver. Our God gives generously to those who ask with a pure heart. Now when Simon the sorcerer, he pulled out his money, he asked Peter for the gift. What does Peter say? Well, he said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Verse 21, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he might forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. That's a strong rebuke. Can you imagine if you said something in church and Pastor Luke walked up to you and said that? That, that, woo, that's strong. I like what the Spanish version translates. In verse 23, the Spanish version says, En prisión de maldad veo que estás. In a prison of evil, I see that you are at. And this full of bitterness part, it's described as a gal of bitterness. And this is actually a Greek idiom. It's used to describe being envious or resentful of someone. And in this case, Simon was jealous of the apostle's power. But Simon had much to learn about the incredible gift of grace. Listen, Maranatha, the gifts of God cannot be bought. But what's the motivation of your heart today? You can receive them from a generous God, but he's going to look at your heart. Purify your heart because the generous giver is here today. Now let's keep looking. I love God's word. There's always so much more and more to discover and unpack. Such a beautiful depth in scriptures. So who is this guy named Simon the sorcerer? Well, it says he had amazed all the people. He, he was pretty popular. He boasted that he was someone great. Both people high and low, they gave him their attention. And we see a difference. We see a difference between Simon the sorcerer and Philip. People were amazed by him. But there's a difference. There's a difference between Philip and Simon, and there's a difference between the true power of God and the counterfeit power. Now, notice, Simon, he showed up, and he claimed to be someone esteemed. He bragged about himself. He gladly accepted the name great. Can you imagine if people called you great? Okay, what's up, great? Like, that's what he enjoyed being called. He claimed to have the power of God, but he was only glorifying himself. Now, when Philip came, Philip also came in power. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that he came to obtain a title for himself or a name for himself or a reputation for himself. He just simply came and preached the gospel. 
He wasn't trying to build a ministry with his name on it. He just was preaching the good news of Jesus. And who was glorified? Was it Philip? No. It was simply Jesus. The people of Samaria were amazed at what Simon the sorcerer could do. But once they experienced the true power of God, even Simon took note. You see, the one who was once the source of amazement is now the one being amazed by the power of God. Church, we're living in a time of great confusion. But let's get this clear. The true power of God is always greater. And it's always going to glorify Jesus. And when you've experienced the power and the presence of the one true living God, there's no confusion. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone is the God of power, of truth, of love, of peace. And no counterfeit can come close to the true power of our God. The world will try to convince you of the power of lesser gods. The world's going to try to convince you of quick solutions when you're tired on waiting for God for a breakthrough. But remember, church, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Maranatha, we're not a powerless church. We're not a powerless church. We're a church full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's time to rise up in the authority of Jesus and begin to pray and worship in a way that reminds us that it's our God who is mighty to save. It is our God who is the only truth, he's the only life, and he's the only way. It's our God. It's our God that defeated death, hell, and the grave. We need to have a shift and a heart that says, Jesus, in this situation, would you bring the breakthrough, but that you would be glorified. That you would be glorified when you bring the breakthrough. The glory isn't for us, church. We're not here to build a name for ourselves. We're here to bring glory to God. And God is the only one who is truly worthy of the glory. The true power of our God is always greater and it's always going to glorify Jesus. Now, on the islands where I live, we have a lot of animism. We have spiritism and witchcraft, some of these things that Simon the sorcerer was up to, okay? And one might assume that since we live on an island surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean, that most islanders would know how to swim, right? It seems plausible, We're right by the ocean. We might as well enjoy it. (laughs) But really, the vast majority of islanders do not know how to swim. In fact, they live in fear of the ocean. One time I was in the ocean with one of my local friends, and we were about waist deep. And we're just, you know, enjoying life, not swimming, but, you know, standing in the water. And there was a group of one tribe, and they were in a circle. And they're splashing each other. They're just splashing, splashing. And my friend comes up to me. She says, Kenzie, do you hear it? And they're splash, splash, splash. Kenzie, do you hear it? I said, what? I mean, water's going in my eye. I'm thinking, what am I listening to? And then a person from another tribe walks up to this group and says, stop. Stop the music. Stop it. The the demons are coming. You're you're bothering them. They're going to come. And 
I'm thinking the only one being bothered right now are my eyes because this salt water's getting in them. But, but the, the reality is islanders live with strongholds of fear. They are, they are just scared to death of what comes in the water. And let me tell you, that is not of Jesus. That is not of Jesus. He's a God who liberates fear. We are not captive to fear in the name of Jesus. We are not, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but you are not captive to fear in the name of Jesus. But what we see on the islands is there's people who have accepted Jesus, but they're not yet walking in freedom. They're living in syncretism where they're still holding on to the old and trying to hold on to the new at the same time. And Jesus is saying, give me that fear. I'll liberate you from that, but you have to let go. We just read that the people of Samaria, they were amazed about what Simon could do. And they actually believed that Simon's power was of God. Would you go to the next picture, please? It's important to see that, that, that they thought that this was the true power of Jesus because proper theological teaching had not yet arrived in Samaria. And because of that, they couldn't discern what was actually of God and what was of the devil. That was until Philip showed up and taught the truth. Now, I'm thankful that in the islands of Equatorial Guinea, we do have a small network of churches. We do have some people who love Jesus. We do have some churches that are, that are trying to gain momentum and, and trying to reach uh, their neighbors and their communities. But you know what keeps me up at night? It's the false doctrines that are weaving their way across Africa. On the island where I work, I work with Muslim people. And that was much of what I did um, on the first island where I lived. But I also work here in, in the area of theological training. And our vision is to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. But without a church that has had proper training of truth, we might see a church, but we're not going to see a healthy church. Now, right before I arrived to the island, we had a church that gathered on our small Bible school campus. Now, another assumption. You might assume that since it's on the Bible school campus, we would have good theology, right? (laughs) Well, one day the pastor decided to put small water bottles, not Stanley American water bottles, okay? Just the plastic ones. And he put them on the stage, and he said, today is Miracle Sunday, If you want to receive your miracle, come up and take a drink. And then afterwards, pay it forward with money. And then you'll receive your miracle. And a lot of people came up and they started drinking, believing that their miracle was coming. And they sacrificed and they gave the money they had. And then one of our local leaders in the church came up to this pastor and said, "Mm -mm -mm -mm, You can't do this. This is not in the Bible. This is not biblical. You cannot be teaching. This is not okay. So guess what that pastor did? He told the church, he said, hey, I'm getting kicked out, but I'm starting my own church. And everyone who comes with me will receive the double portion. So come with me and we'll go. And the blessing will follow us. And there was just a small group that didn't go with him. Because they understood the difference between what was true and what was false, the true power of God, and what was the counterfeit. You know, it was just a small remnant. 
And when I moved there, they asked, hey, Kenzie, we got this church. This just happened. Would you be willing to teach there twice a month? Would you be part of the theological training? They're a very small group, but would you be willing to go? I said, of course. You know, this is why I'm here. And I can't tell you, but this small remnant had the most genuine spirit of joy over them. I can't describe that. In the midst of their pain and confusion, it was God who brought them through, and he brought such a joy over them. They had just lost their community. They had just lost this pastor that they trusted, but God brought sovereign joy over them. It's the power of God that's always greater than the lies of the enemy. And that remnant understood the difference. Now, if you see them, that's them on the left. And on the right, they're getting their own church now. This is a tabernacle that's going up, and they're having their own church. And they're growing. There's me on the corner. They don't teach you how to build tabernacles in Bible school, but... As a missionary, you just say yes and lift heavy things, preach the gospel. You do it all, okay? <laughs> but they're getting their own church. It's so cool. I, I mean, that's what God does. That's what God does. I want to encourage you, Maranatha, that the power of God is strong enough to transform any circumstance you're facing. He's a God of clarity. He's not a God of confusion. I don't know who walked in here with a spirit of heaviness this morning. But I want to tell you, he's power He's so much more powerful. And he can take any broken situation you're facing, and he can cause joy to flourish. Our God's greater. He's greater than any circumstance you're facing. And he takes situations of pain, and he turns them around for his glory. That's what he does. That's what he's done in my life. He's taken situations of so much brokenness and pain and trauma, and he's caused joy to flourish. And it's not happiness. It's joy. And there's a difference. True joy is of the Lord. And it remains in and out of season because it's rooted in the goodness of God. He's doing it. Jesus is doing it in the islands of Africa. He's taking these broken situations, and he's causing joy. And that's what he can do in Anchorage, Alaska. Do you believe that? That's what he does. So finally, how does the story of Simon the sorcerer end? Acts eight twenty four. After the rebuke, this is what Simon the sorcerer said. He said, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Verse 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John remained in Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The end. That's it. We never hear the end of the story of Simon the sorcerer. Did he repent? Did he continue following Jesus? Or did he go back to glorifying himself? Well, some scholars believe that he possibly became one of the founders of the heretical teaching of Gnosticism. Others think that he went to Rome and became associated with a pagan woman. But regardless of what happened to Simon the sorcerer, that in the midst of his bad theology and his misguided heart, church, God still has the power to save 
and redeem. God still has the power to save and redeem. You know, I, I don't know why the scholars of this passage assume the worst. Would you go to the next slide, please? I don't, I don't know why they assumed the worst. I mean, the verses that follow, they just said, um, the apostles just kept on, kept going. They just preached the word. They just kept on the ministry. But Simon, could he have repented? I don't know if he did, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible because I know of the gracious God that Simon once put his faith in. I think it's possible. The island where I live in Africa and the islands nearby, like I told you, they're full of this witchcraft and and this spiritism. In fact, the whole south part of our island, the village leaders stand at the entrance and say, don't even come near. Do not even enter the village. We don't want any type of your spirit to come in. They won't let us build churches in the south. They won't even let us enter the villages of the south. They're so holding tight to their own spirits. But the hope for Simon reminds me of one of our local pastors in Equatorial Guinea. If you go to the next picture, this is Pastora Lucia. She works on a village on the north side of the island, and she is 62 years old. She's been a pastor with the Assemblies of God for eight years, and she is a tough cookie. Let me tell you, every week she says, pray for my back, pray for my knees, because every week she goes with a machete to this island to clear the land so that people can meet and encounter God. She grew up in a family that practiced witchcraft. In fact, this is very common that there's this generational passing on from grandmothers to mothers to daughters uh, of charms and of powers. And, and it's like a family business almost, okay? She knew she was demon-possessed and she had the power to harm. But with great fear, where there's power, there's also great fear. And she just wanted to appease her family she, she wanted to appease the spirits inside of her because she knew they could harm her. But one day, one day, she heard music, and she liked to sing. But in the distance, she heard music, and so she started following the music. And as she got closer, and as she got closer, she realized it was a church. And when she walked into church that day, God miraculously set her free from generations and generations of bondage. And she accepted Jesus that day. That's what God does. He miraculously touched her. And when she went home, she went home singing. She went home singing and and she was just, it was like a new lightness, a new freedom. And she began singing about this God who had just set her. This is the first time she'd liberated in her whole life. And she sang all the way home. And then when she told her family, they all rejected her. They all rejected her. They wanted nothing to do with her. Except for her dad. She shared with her dad every day. He 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 didn't want to know about Jesus, but every day she started singing to him, and she started sharing about Jesus. For for the first year of her walk with Jesus, she shared with him every day, and then he got really sick, and three days before he died, a year after her getting saved and set free, this man also accepted Jesus. God still has the power to save and redeem 
God still has the power to save and redeem. That's what he does. That's what God does. He is a God of redemption. He is a God of salvation. And he's still doing it. Do not let the enemy lie to you, pastor, and tell you that salvation is not available to Anchorage. It still is. And it's still possible. And it's still happening. And that's what God's doing. He's doing it. He's drawing hearts. So we're going to listen to Pastora Lucia at 62 years old as she shares to you about the church that God has called her to plant on the islands of Equatorial Guinea. Could you restart it, please? A las 12 del día del terreno de la limpieza con los hermanos, yo pasé en la carretera y no sé, yo puedo decir que el Señor que me llevó ahí, de repente escucho dentro de mí, eleva la cara, yo le elevé, mira allá. Eh, me mostró Dios encima de las, de, de las casas, hay unas viviendas sociales que están después del pueblo y después de esas viviendas hay árboles grandes. El Señor me dice, estás bailando, estás contenta del lugar que tú me has comprado, pero yo no quiero ir. Allá donde están esos árboles es donde quiero que tú pongas mi iglesia y yo mismo edificaré mi iglesia. Me paré y me sorprendí y dije, pero ¿qué dice el Señor dentro de ese bosque? Y no habló más, no me dijo nada más. Entonces cogimos el lugar, limpiamos, yo decía, Señor, ¿Qué voy a hacer en ese bosque? ¿Cómo puedo yo empezar a trabajar en ese lugar? No tengo coche. Voy, todavía el terreno está así, no está bien uh, alineado. Y estoy subiendo los, los bloques poquito a poco. Estoy con los niños, más, tengo más niños y jóvenes en la iglesia. Sí, estoy muy contenta de hacer lo que hago. Porque muchas cosas he hecho en la vida, no he, no he visto nada mejor que servir a Dios y ser sierva de Dios. Yo soy esclava de Cristo y estoy muy contenta, de verdad. Of all the acts to do in the world, I've never discovered anything better than to serve God and to be a servant of God. It's people like Pastora Lucia that give me hope for the future of the growing church in Equatorial Guinea. It reminds me that God still has the power to save and redeem. You know, so much of ministry in Africa is hospitality. And my house is filled with people who come in. And I do these gatherings with women. And I just look around. And I realize that person sitting on my couch and that person sitting at the table, they're all people who God has divinely plucked out of generations of bondage and slavery. And, and, and he's redeemed them. And now they're loving Jesus. And they're walking in freedom. And they're walking in victory. And I look around and I'm humbly aware that it's people like Pastora Lucia. It's people like her that make leaving Alaska and moving to the sweaty islands of the world. It makes it worth it. 
And it makes me realize it's a privilege to drip sweat with them. It's a privilege to lift tabernacles with them. It's a privilege to teach theology and discipleship and to share strategies of how we reach our Muslim neighbors. It's a privilege to pray together and to dance together until we see the breakthrough. But I'm also reminded of the absolute essential need of the gift of the Holy Spirit in my daily life, whether I'm at Costco or whether I'm walking down island-filled roads of lava rock. I'm reminded of how much greater the power of God is than anything in this world and how worthy Jesus is of receiving all the glory. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.